What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's show is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps businesses grow. So if your business is feeling stuck, that bottom line isn't moving, you're having a hard time getting traffic to your website, building out social media content, whatever it may be, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us and book a free consultation with them. They will be able to help you out. All right. Today on the show, I am talking with Scott Ford. He is one of the co-founders of Corgi Bytes, a great company that really helps with code maintenance going in. They have a, a cool slogan, which is called Old Code, New Tricks. They're a decentralized team, and they've been that way before COVID. So we talk a lot about building culture and managing a decentralized team. He's also got some cool tips and tricks that you can take if you're newly remote to help with productivity. Really, really interesting conversation. If you are in the tech space, more specifically the coding space, sit back, listen to this one. I was impressed by what Scott and his team are are putting out there and interesting conversation nonetheless. Cheers. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today, I am sitting with Scott Ford. He is the founder and chief code whisperer at CorgiBytes. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So talk me through it. You guys, uh, I love the tagline on the website, old code, new tricks. Walk me through the creation of CorgiBytes and what y'all do and where you're at currently. Yeah, so yeah, Corgi Bytes, Old Code New Tricks, our niche is working exclusively with existing systems. So we don't build anything new from scratch. We help teams and companies take the software systems they have and, and make them better. And we really love, like genuinely love doing that work. We call it mending. We like to contrast that with making. And noticed over the years that only about 5 to 10% of software developers enjoy mending work. So we wanted to create a home for those for those people who are, are like me, who like genuinely enjoy doing that work. And then also partner up with projects that genuinely need that work. Because we've learned over the years that a lot of software failures seem to be caused by a mismatch between the project needing a mender and the project having makers. Very cool. It's one of those things. It's so interesting when you, you know, when you niche down it really allows you to be positioned as an expert, but then people will then seek you out for that specific work instead of trying to be all things to all people, which I'm sure, um, well, a lot of listeners had that problem. Myself, I had that problem. Like, we don't want to be too boxed in. And then you switch to bar- to actually boxing yourself in and you're able to experience growth. It's a, a weird phenomenon. <laughs> Yeah. And I would say like within our niche, we try not to box ourselves in. So I definitely have appreciation for that because we we don't like to isolate ourselves to any one technology or language, programming language or software development framework. You know, we like to work on anything. So, you know, that's that's a way that that's we've still been able to get some of that, like, don't box me in even within our little box. Very cool. Now, talk to me a little bit, because one of the things that I've noticed from going through your website that I think differentiates you, you know, from a lot of software consultants is you all are more extroverted than I would say. Like, you know, you do talks, you're doing speeches, you're out there, you've created a course, you're really proactive on the education front. What caused that? Has that always been core to the DNA or is that a new development? Walk me through that 
process and what led you to start doing those types of things? So that's been core to the DNA from the very beginning. Um, and that really largely comes from my, my business partner and her background in, in marketing, in sales and marketing. And you know, she has really set the strategy that we follow and really wanted us to be out there and be noticed and really start a conversation about the kind of work that we do to educate people as to you know why it needs to be done and why it would make sense to hire hire a team of people to, to work on it. So yes, yeah, so we've been executing her strategy for the last you know 10 years. Sometimes we execute it better than others, but yeah, it's definitely been the strategy that she's put forward. So she's the one who gets all the credit for that. Very cool. It's it's one of those things that I, you know, whenever I see companies doing that I'm, and, and little things like that, I'm always impressed, you know, just because I think it's something that small businesses can take advantage of in their own niche if they embrace the fact that like, okay, we have some value to add and we can educate, we can give to the community first. And if we do that and position ourselves as um, coaches, really, in the space, mm -hmm. the work's going to follow. It's hard to quantify like this speech led to this sale, but really it, the work does follow when you position yourself like that. And working with Andre over the years has really taught me a lot about sales because like, as a software developer and as someone who was trained as a software developer, I feel like early in my career, I had a very adversarial relationship with, with the sales team members and really kind of viewed them as the enemy. Why my work was so difficult was that they were out selling things that weren't possible or couldn't be built. Working with Andrea really kind of helped me see that like there's a different way of, of approaching that problem. And the way that she approached it was to just be helpful. And she kind of views every sales interact every sales interaction as an opportunity to help and as an opportunity to be helpful. So that's what we really try to do is in every sales conversation, we try to make sure that the person we're talking to leaves with a little bit more information than they started with. And it kind of at every touch point along the customer journey with us, you know, they should be learning a, a little bit and it should lead them into the right direction for them, which might not always be with us. And we try to be really honest and open about that, you know, from the start. And if like, if we're not a good fit, we say we're not a good fit and we try to steer them in the right direction. There's a couple of things you said there that I want to touch on. One, soft selling, so important. And what I mean by soft selling is really positioning yourself as a trusted advisor, because when you do that, you're advising the client to go in the right direction, whether that's with you or not, which is a, a huge thing from a positioning standpoint, because even if you put them, hey, you know, we're not the right company, but go talk to these people that's going to leave a positive memory in their mind and they might refer you to another business. Mm -hmm. So I think that's so important. And then two, something you touched on, which I don't think gets enough coverage is this weird feud between sales and marketing yeah. and development. And I feel like I've been pulled, like I've been on product teams where I'm in between both. And I'm always like, guys, we're all on the same team. Like, <laughs> right. and sales and marketing, to your point, sometimes can go out and they sell that the sky is purple <laughs> and they come back and say, hey, we need to build a purple sky. But then on the flip side of that, sometimes sales and marketing comes back and says, hey, you know, the client only wants these two features. And the engineers are like, yeah, but we're building 75 features. Exactly. So it's, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, when I have to go into those positions and manage projects, I'm like, everyone, we are on the same team. The sales and marketing are what keep the lights on. So we're not going to discount them and say that what they're doing isn't valuable. Yes. And, <laughs> and sales and marketing, you need to have an appreciation for how hard it is to also build these things on the back end and understand and manage those different personalities. But I don't think that gets enough coverage, man, like or dissecting, you know, this weird feud when everyone's on the same team. Me and Andre were really forced to grapple with that feud because shortly after becoming business partners, we also became romantically entangled. Now we were married and have two kids. So we have a talk that um, 
that we've given in the past called the marriage of communication and code, really talking about how a lot of what we learned from couples counseling has really informed the way we run the business and has really informed the way that we try to help other people from across that divide and really try to see the other person's perspective and recognizing that it was, we both had to move. Like it couldn't just be one of us being kind of intransigent and saying that, oh, you're wrong or, oh, you're wrong. It was recognizing that like we needed to gain empathy for what it was like to be the other person and the challenges of their role and really kind of cross that divide and learn what it was like to be them. Compromise and communication, something that is easy to talk about and a lot harder to do. <laughs> right. And, and we often joke that like, had we not been married, we might not have stuck it out, right? Like, like if Interesting. We just, if we Interesting. Just, if we were just business partners, we might've given up. But we really like dug our heels and we're like, we're going to figure out how to make this work. We're going to figure out how to, how to work well together. So That's very, very interesting to see that now, right? Like now that you're on the other side of it, so to speak, like, okay, you're married now, you have the kids. And it's like, oh, dang, if that would have went a different direction, you know, seven years ago, like maybe we aren't business partners anymore. Like it's just, right. and you're able to have that hindsight and go, okay. And then like you said, which is something that's so important is both parties have to move and compromise yeah. and communicate. And that is in any organization anywhere. And that's going to be something because if you're infighting, like it's already hard enough to grow a business. And if you have infighting going on, how are you going to go fight the big battle, right? Against competitors right. and to try to win over customers. It's something like we've been brought in with companies before and I see them imploding because of intercompany politics. Mm -hmm. And you're like, guys, we can't get a customer if, you, if the COO and CMO are fighting every meeting. It's like, <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. One of the things we talked about before we popped on was really being remote before it was cool. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said something interesting about talent acquisition and being decentralized. I just dive into that a little bit about yeah. why being decentralized allows you to really do you know, vast work. Sure. So when we first started going out and giving talks at meetup groups, you know, really kind of pushing the, the content angle and really getting out there and, you know, giving away our knowledge in hopes that we'd find clients like, you know, that was kind of the, the core of the strategy. One of the questions I would ask whenever I spoke to a meetup group was, you know, I would kind of get a baseline of how many people in the room were software developers. And then I would ask how many people enjoyed working on something that they inherited from somebody else. And I would usually only get a five to 10% response rate for people who wanted to do the kind of work that I was advocating for. But those hands that went up were crazy enthusiastic. Like they went up like, oh, that's me. There are other people like in, and I would have people come up to me after these talks and go, I thought I was alone. Interesting. And, you know, and they were like, they'd found their people, so to speak. And they thought they were the only ones in their organization who liked doing maintenance work, who liked, you know, fixing bugs, who liked, you know, paying down technical debt, who liked doing the kinds of things that the typical software developer doesn't like doing. That's interesting. Like the yeah. <laughs> finding your tribe, right? And then empowering those people with, hey, this is what we do. Like you can come in and fix things. It's not always about building the new shiny feature. Right. Um, and you can and you can really help a business's bottom line when you come in and start, you know, erasing technical debt, for instance, that's, it's very, um, I love that. I love like that, you know, going out and then almost testing the waters with your talks yeah. and then having that, like, was there an aha moment where you're like, okay, we need to do this. The more we kept seeing, you know, about 5%, the more we realized that we needed to make sure we had our staffing set up so that it was remote and distributed because we imagined us scaling up and doing really well. And pretty much any city we could pick in the US or even in the world, 
If we limited ourselves to five to 10% of that city's talent pool, then we would quickly exhaust it or maybe not quickly exhaust it, depending on how fast we grew, right? But you could see a point where we would exhaust it and we'd have to expand other cities. But if we started out remote and just hired the best people, no matter where we found them, and just made being remote kind of part of our company's culture and our company's DNA and figured out like how to do that really well, then we could hire people from anywhere. And then we could find those people who are really excited, but they might live, you know, the net, you know, two or three states over, or they might live in a different time zone, or they might live in a different country, but they, they really enjoy doing the work and they'd be a really good fit for the team. You all have been at that for a while. And there's a lot of people listening to this who are newly, you know, 100% remote. So yes. is there anything that you all have done that you've seen a lot of success with, with regards to building team camaraderie, I never can say that word, um, <laughs> <laughs> amongst a remote team? I mean, one of the things we noticed first off was it's hard to build that camaraderie. Like you said, it's hard to build it from a distance. It doesn't happen as organically as it does when you're going to the office with, with other people. And it's important to acknowledge that and just recognize that that's an aspect that's hard. It's not impossible, but it's not going to happen on its own. You have to add some intention. You have to inc- intentionally create these spaces and create these moments where people will interact with each other on our own personal level. Um, and there's several like tips and techniques that that we've kind of adapted over the years through trial and error. One is we have a room in Slack where we just say when we're coming and going. Because one of the things that kind of happens organically in an office is you kind of see when your coworkers get to work. Whereas on a remote team, it can be harder to tell like who's in and who's out. And that can lead to everyone feeling like they're always working. That's not a great way to feel. So if you have a channel in your chat where people say, hey, I'm here, or hey, I'm going to lunch, or I've got to take my kid to the doctor, or I'm done for the day. And that's really the kind of the primary focus of that channel. And there might be some other chit chat or, or things of that sort, but that's the primary focus of that room is you can quickly go look in that room to find out who's here and who's not. Interesting. We, um, we do something similar on Slack, but with statuses. Mm-hmm. Just like, okay, I'm in office, in meeting, deep work, like, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm at a doctor's appointment. But like the deep work thing is like, please don't ping me. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Have you all gotten the team together? I know some people do like retreats. We've done that once with the whole team and then once with the leadership team. And so we were, our plan was to do it this September to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. that got shelved. So what we're doing instead is we're creating like a gift box for everybody. And it'll be basically the same contents of a gift box. And then we're going to spend some time on Zoom and we're all going to open them up together and, and kind of go, go through the experience of you know being able to share in a social way and kind of get some of that socialization. And we'll we'll do a little bit of the strategic work that we, were, that we would have done in person. It's not going to be the same, but we didn't want to like completely not do it either. Like it's exactly, it's not the same. It's discounted, but it's still there, right? Yeah. And I think in the world we're in right now, it's like everyone, it's like, we got to make lemonade, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm sitting here like, all right, well, this is the perfect time to kick back up the podcast and do all these things because like, well, I can't go out. There you anywhere, go. So may as well. And it's a great, you know, this has been, a, for instance, a, a function to meet new people like yourself. Walk me through though, for once again, staying on this remote thing. Mm-hmm. I know some companies will help get like home offices setups and chairs. Where do you all fall on that? Or giving people like, I know Basecamp, for instance, they do like a small stipend if somebody wanted to go to a WeWork, obviously pre-COVID. Have you found any of that stuff to work? Have you dipped your toe in that water? We've always worked with people on a case-by-case basis for that and just really trusted people to find what worked for them. And it really encouraged experimentation. And another thing that we really try hard to do is 
because we're distributed, use as much asynchronous communication as possible. So like we try really hard not to have synchronous meetings. So that means that when we do have a synchronous meeting, it's important and it's really needed. Otherwise, we try to just handle things asynchronously. So like either through chat in Slack or a document that we're co-editing where we might leave a comment for somebody and then have that comment get, get resolved later. It adds more wall clock time to the work. It takes more calendar time to get some things done, but it takes less time and it's less stress for the individuals who are doing the work because they can come and go as their lives demand. And we found that that's been hypercritical for remote workers, but even more so with COVID because so many of us have kids at home and it's so hard to predict when our kids who are at home are going to need us. Yeah. In the asynchronous communication tools, listeners, if you're out there going, okay, what the hell is that? <laughs> Basically, look into project management tools like you know Basecamp or Trello. We use Trello, or if you yeah use Slack, where people can come and go, and it's not you don't have to have the standing meeting every day. Which yeah, we got rid of those because not fun, waste of time. <laughs> and and we, still, we still capture what would have been captured in those meetings. Like we have a room in Slack called Stand Up. And we have everybody post the answer to three questions there every day. And it's like, what did I get done yesterday? What do I plan on getting done today? And then what's in my way or what's slowing me down? And I love that. That's what we would have captured had we like all met in person, but we don't need to all be in person to capture that information. And a side benefit of writing it down is that I can go back and look at what I said yesterday and I can notice patterns in my own work and say, you know, hmm. This one thing that I've been saying I'm going to get done for, for three days, I haven't even started yet. You know, what's going on there? Or as a manager, I can say that as well. And I can look in and check in with my, my team members and say, hey, you're saying that you're not being slowed down by anything, but I've seen that this is, you know, this one task keeps slipping. You know, is there any additional support that I can provide? With it being I love that. down, you know, you can see those trends a little bit easier. That's huge. And that's like, you know, like you said, you're able to replace, like you're able to buy back 30 minutes off the clock by right. just doing that. Right. Um, because that would have happened anyways. Very cool. Awesome. Well, tell me more, like what's next for Corgi Bytes? What do you, are there plans to expand in, with the courses? Are you looking just to get more work? Like what, yeah, what's, what's the next horizon? The next big thing for us is to start building out products. And these are products that will help us better serve our customers and hopefully help us attract customers. So we're thinking of each product that we build as a potential lead magnet for, for finding, you know, potential clients for our consulting services because we've been focused exclusively on consulting services for this whole time. And we've got a few courses out on LinkedIn learning's platform and you know those have been helpful for like you know building credibility and, and attracting people to us uh, on the consulting side. But one of the things we're looking to do is we'd also like for the products to help us stable out the revenue ups and downs that are just kind of inherently unpredictable with consulting. Another thing that's really challenging with maintenance work is there's no end to it. There is no done. Everything can always be better. It's harder for us to predict on a scheduling perspective when our staff members are going to be freed up for the next work. So by having products for them to work on and kind of use that as a bench, we're able to flex a little bit better. And as we can bring new clients on, we will essentially steal people from the product team <laughs> and, and have them staff on products, on services projects, but then we'll hire for the, um, uh, for the products. And the idea will be that like, if anything suffers, it'll be the internal product in terms of delivery, but that'll be okay because it won't be like, it's not a client that's suffering because we <laughs> the, the deadlines aren't as tight, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're a little more forgiving because we planned it that way, right? And like, 
Yeah, that makes sense, opposed to the vice versa. Hey, man, I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Let people know where they can connect, you know, learn more about Corgi Bites and connect with you online. Yeah, so Corgi Bites, you can visit us at corgibites.com. That's corgi like the dog and bites like bites on the computer. I think if you type it in the other way, you'll probably still get to us, but it's B-Y-T-E-S. And then we also have a podcast, the Legacy Code Rocks, and you can find that at legacycode.rocks. And yeah, I would love to get in touch. You can also reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I hang out there on Twitter. I am M Scott Ford and uh, the same on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Awesome, everybody. That is it for the episode. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. As always, please hit like, share, subscribe, and I'll catch you next time. Oh.